You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Good morning. How are y'all today? Well, we are going to start a new sermon series this morning, uh, as I promised you last Sunday, titled On Your Mark. And so if you want to turn over to Acts chapter 1, and uh, it, really what we're going to do in this series is spend some time talking about how we as a church can get ready for the race before us. Um, this is what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our, our race, the founder perfecter of our faith, rather. And, and if you were here last week or you were able to tune on online, I made a huge announcement. And, uh, and if you weren't able to hear that, by the way, news travels real fast. I got, I got done with church, announced that we were going to be transitioning here in the next year or so. And um, I got to the plaza. I didn't even have time to pick up my menu, and I got text messages from, from a pastor at a different church somewhere just, you know, just being supportive and everything, said that he heard. And so, but in case you were under a rock last week, I want to just really recap real quickly um, kind of some stuff that we talked about last week. Last week, we announced that we have officially begun searching for the next pastor of Grace Through Faith. Um, I just kind of told you a little bit about some of the struggles that we've had in this last year, kind of looking towards the future and what we need to do to really set McCoy up for success and knowing that there's going to become a time really in, in the next couple of years where we need to do some things differently for him. Um, and he's going to age out of his program that he's been in in DISD, which has been a fantastic thing for him. And so we're going to have to relocate in order to do that. And so um, I gave a lot of details last week. I'm not going to recap all those details. If you have questions, go back and watch last Sunday's service, um, and I'll answer a lot of those questions. But it, just real quickly, the, the two things, the two most common questions is kind of when is this going to happen? What's the time frame? Basically, what we're looking at doing starting last Monday, we started a nationwide search for the next pastor. Our goal is to hire somebody by the end of this school year. And for me to spend six months with them to 12 months with them, depending on the candidate and, and how, how they're ready to, to take on the role. And, uh, and really, as we do that, to, to give them an opportunity to kind of get set up for success and, and to step into what God's calling them to do. And so, um, and here's the thing that, that I think that we can all acknowledge is transitions happen in life, don't they? You can't stop them from happening. I know we talk about change a lot and how much we don't like change, but I just got a news flash for Jory and for everybody else in the room and everybody who's watching this, change, change happens. There's nothing that you can do to prevent that from happening. Here's what happens in transition that we can do. And what we do have control over is we can get good at them. And so that's really what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to look at um, transitions that happened in the Word of God. Because I think that as you look at the Word of God and how God's people, um, how the disciples, and even in the Old Testament times, how they handled transitions, because they went through life just like we are going through life. And they had different kinds of transitions that God ushered them through, and we can learn some things of how, how they responded and what went on in their lives. And so well, that's what I want to do today, um, is kind of look at the disciples specifically in Acts chapter 1. But before I jump in there, let's talk about relays and transitions. I need, I need that stuff real quick. I don't know if y'all like track, um, but in the Olympics and even um, uh, in track and field whenever I was running track in high school, relays were my favorite events. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't the greatest at them. 
And so I didn't, I, I remember I was on the relay team for a little while, and then I, I did the, 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 um, the, the unforgivable sin in relay races. I dropped the baton, and I didn't get to do relays anymore. I think that was like seventh grade, and I've gone through counseling for that, so y'all don't pray for me too much. <laughs> And so if you didn't run relays or if it's been a little while since you went through relays, let me kind of cover real fast what happens in relay races because relay races are different than just a single person race. A relay race is all about the baton. And in a relay race, the thing that's so interesting and so fun and what I want to kind of correlate with what we're going to talk about today, there's always a transition. There's always a shift. There's always a change, okay? And so if you remember the rule of relay race, let's, you know, the first leg is going around the track. And, and whenever the runner gets ready to pass the baton off, there is a zone on the track that's actually marked out that you have to, this is a rule, that you have to make the transition or the exchange of the baton in this zone. If you make the exchange before the zone, you're disqualified, right? If you make the, the exchange after the zone, you're disqualified, or if you drop the baton, right? Now, here's the thing about, about relays, is we can learn something from this transition in this illustration that I'm giving to you, is because one of the goals in relay races is you want to be effective and efficient. This is what I mean by that. This is what it means to be effective, is you do not drop the baton, buck and all, ever. You do, you're effective in the transition if you steward the baton and you guard the baton and you pass it to the next person. The relay, the transition succeeds whenever it happens like it's supposed to happen and you don't drop the baton. Here's the second thing is you also want to be efficient. See, the thing about relay races is it's not about how fast the runner is. It's about how fast you can take the baton across the finish line. And so the, the effectiveness and the efficiency with which that happens really matters. And to be efficient, whenever you're in the zone of passing off, it doesn't do any good to go, hey, how you doing? Oh, great. Thanks for the baton. You know, have a little bit of a slow interaction. You don't want to fumble it. You want to break momentum as little as possible. You want it to be fluid. You want it to be efficient. Now, here's the thing that I think that we can see from this and correlate to the kingdom of God is... No matter what, in your life and in my life, we're going to go through seasons of transition. It happens. You can't prevent it. What we can do is get good at it. And whenever you look at the transitions of life, we also want to be effective in those transitions, and we want to be efficient in those transitions. This is what it looks like to be effective in the transitions that come in the kingdom of God. Stewarding the, stewarding the commission of Christ trumps everything else. I was telling you this last week, and I want, you, I want to drill this into you, is, you know, there's, there was always going to be another pastor of this church. Always. I don't live forever. The pastor that was pastoring before me, Mike Brock, he, he eventually moved on. And so the, the thing that I want us to understand is that the thing that matters the most is that we steward the commission of Christ, what God has called us to do, GTF. He has called us to make disciples. That is the baton that you cannot drop. That's the thing that has to, to be carried across the finish line because Jesus didn't call us to follow anybody else but him. And he brings influencers into our life, teachers and pastors and mentors into our life for different seasons. But the commission never changes. 
Make disciples. Do not drop that baton. The, the, the part of efficiency in the kingdom of God is that we steward the momentum of what God is doing. It's important. And, and as we talked about last weekend, there's some great momentum of what God's been doing in and through us as a church. And we as a leadership and our elders and our, our staff, our ministry team, we want to steward that as best as we possibly can. We want to lose as little as we possibly can. Transitions happen in life. We can't prevent them, but we can get good in them. And so let's look at the transition of Jesus and his disciples. And I was thinking about this last week, and I was, I was thinking about, you know, I wonder how Jesus' disciples responded whenever he left. Now, theologically, I know Jesus never left. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But for the disciples, their reality with Jesus was different than yours and mine. They literally got to sit down and eat with him, spend their days with him. He was physically present in their lives. And the day that he ascended to heaven, it, it, it was a huge shift for them. Something changed dramatically in their experience with Jesus, and it was a huge transition. And so I'm curious if there's anything that you and I can learn from that response and from that interaction. So look at Acts chapter 1, and, and if you don't know kind of um, the story of what's fixing to happen, of course, we always look, I love Acts chapter 2, but Acts chapter 1 is packed full of a lot of stuff. If you didn't know this, there was 50 days, let me give you a little bit of the backstory before we actually read this. There was 50 days that transpired between the time that Jesus rose from the dead on the first Easter to the time of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out. That's Acts chapter 2. But there's 40 days that Jesus spent with his disciples before he ascended to heaven. So I want you to think about that for just a second because Jesus' disciples went through this huge devastation whenever he was killed. He was dead and they buried him. It's like this grief overtook them and it's like all hope was lost and, and God had to send angels to encourage them to believe and all of these different things. And then Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus didn't go to heaven right, right then. He spent weeks with the disciples preparing them for the transition that was about to happen. He made them ready and understood what was coming down the pike, right? And so as Jesus is making them ready, there's these interactions that are going on and Jesus is teaching them and we're fixing to read one of the conversations and the actual moment whenever Jesus departed, whenever he left. So look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> so when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip 
and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I find that story completely interesting. Because if I was there, sometimes I just want to put myself into the narrative for just a second. If I was there, I feel like that there would be a huge uh, separation anxiety is happening between me and my mentor, my rabbi, the Savior that just rose from the dead. But Jesus' disciples, they responded to this in, I think, a different way than maybe we think. And I don't know what's in your mind's eye that happened that day whenever Jesus just supernaturally lifted. That's, that's odd. In and of itself, Jesus is just sitting there preaching to them and talking to them. And all of a sudden, he just kind of goes. And, and as you think about this interaction and what's going on, Jesus' disciples responded in a really holy and interesting way. Here's, here's, a, couple, here's a couple things that I just wrote down. Number one, they were dazed and I think a little bit um, awestruck. So much so that God had to send two angels to kind of... <laughs> Tap him on the shoulder and go, hey guys, why are y'all staring into heaven? What are you doing? Get busy. They were stuck in that moment of just, and I I really do, and I'll tell you why I believe this. I I don't think it was grief. I think it was awe. As a matter of fact, I know it was awe. Because the, the idea that Jesus' disciples emotionally fell apart because he left is actually not true. That's not what they did. Now, I, probably there were some tears that were, that were streaming down their face because of the moment and all of those things, but they were actually filled with a different emotion that I'll get to here in just a second. Now, the thing that happened after these angels kind of got their attention is like, hey, what are you doing? The next thing that they did, the response that they had was to obey what Jesus told them to do. He said, do not leave this city. Stay here until you receive the Spirit and the power that my Father has promised you. And once you receive that, then you'll be able to accomplish the mission that I've called you to. And so what the disciples did, as soon as they kind of snapped out of it, these two angels are there, which is kind of cool in and of itself. They go back to Jerusalem, climb the stairs to the upper room, and they stay there devoting themselves to prayer until Jesus fulfilled what he said he would fulfill. Ten more days they sat in the upper room praying and encouraging one another and worshiping God. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. But the other thing that I noticed that they did was they got busy. As I read those names and I intentionally read those names to you, there's only one person that's missing from the original 12 and it's because Judas hung himself, right? He's dead. And as soon as they go back to the upper room and they're kind of immersing themselves in this this atmosphere of prayer and worship, they're like, hey, we need to replace Judas. We need to get busy. It's like we have something to do. Their minds were focused and their heart was focused on the task at hand that Jesus had given to them. And so what they did next was they got busy and started doing what they were supposed to do so that they could fulfill the commission that God gave them. See, I can tell you something that they did not do. They didn't quit. Because I think sometimes for us, whenever we go through changes in life and there's transitions that come, and sometimes our expectations get interrupted and it's like, well, I thought it was going to happen this way. It's like one of the things that typically happens is grief strikes and we sit down and we stop. That's not what they did. It's really interesting to me because I can look at different transitions in my life that I came up to and it's like, you know, I just don't really want to change. 
I don't really want to do this. And listen to me, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there's something that God wants to call you to is that you embrace transition and you get good at it because you can't stop it. Now, I know, I know that we always talk about how much we don't like change, but there's nothing that we can do to prevent it. I can't stay 13 forever. Eventually, I've got to go to the next you know, phase of growing up. I can't live with my parents forever. Praise God. On this side, it's so much better to be an adult, right? I don't want to pay the bills, but at the same time, I don't want to go back to that. And so it's like there's this dread inside of us in the human experience where we do not want to step into change, but we don't understand the good thing that's on the other side. See, there's a big difference in quitting and finishing. And the disciples didn't quit. And here's the difference in quitting and finishing. Quitting is stopping short of the goal, what you set out to do. Finishing is a completion of what you were called to. Now, here's a struggle in both of these, in quitting and in finishing. Whether we realize or not, there's actually a struggle in both. Because one of the things that I want to do in life, I want to be a finisher. I don't want to be a quitter. I've been a quitter before, and I don't want to be a quitter, but I do want to finish what God's called me to do. Just like the verse I read to you in Hebrews chapter 12 earlier, whenever we started the message, is that we are all called to run the race that we have marked out for us with endurance. God wants us to endure to the finish line, to get to the end. But there is an end to everything that we do. There is a completion to what we're called to. So here's the struggle in both quitting and in finishing. One of the things that causes us to quit is because we get fatigued, We get discouraged or we don't believe that we can finish. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, and this is whenever everything in me wants to quit, this is the thing that I remind myself of. Paul says this, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do not quit. Whatever is going on in your life right now where this applies to you, God wants to give you the strength that you do not think that you can have. He wants to give you the energy so that you can finish what he's called you to. Sometimes I think back on my life whenever God was calling me to follow him and I was lost, right? And it's like there was something inside of me that just didn't believe, not only in Jesus, but I didn't believe in me that I could actually do this. I didn't believe that I could follow him. I didn't believe that it was possible for me. And one of the things that happens whenever we finally give in to what God's doing and say, you know what, God, I believe in your ability. I believe in your power to help me do what you've called me to do. Everything changes. And that's what God has called us to do whenever we're facing a time whenever we just want to stop, we're discouraged, we want to quit, and we want to lay down and give up. Look to him. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is the one that gives you the strength. Whenever you're weak, he's strong and he will lend you his strength and power. Now here's the struggle in finishing. Finishing is the goal, but there is actually a struggle whenever you finish. The struggle in finishing is focusing too much on where you placed. God has called you to finish, not necessarily be first. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 says, this is funny to me that Jesus' disciples consistently argued about this topic. Who's going to be the greatest? 
In our minds of of finishing of what God's called you to do, sometimes we get the the temptation to kind of look to the the left and look to the right and see where we stack up compared to everybody else. And listen, that's not how you're going to be judged. God has called you to finish and to be faithful with what he's called you to do, not to be the best, not to be first. It's irrelevant in the kingdom. And Jesus' disciples were asking each other and even asking him, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus' response was this, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God has called you to be faithful, not necessarily first. In a different passage, Jesus was talking to his disciple, and he told him this parable, and he said, the first will be last, and the last will be first. See, there's this thing in the kingdom of God where it's not about you racing against the person next to you, or your neighbor, or your enemy. It's about you finishing what God's called you to do. That's it. That's what finishing is all about in the kingdom per Jesus. Now, here's the thing that's completely fascinating to me about the disciples. Um, I want you to look at Luke. It'll be up on the screen. See, the disciples did not quit because they had a higher perspective. And they had a different emotional response than getting sad and depressed and quitting. Luke chapter 24 The reason I told you that they were awestruck and not grief-struck whenever Jesus was taken is because of this passage. This is the ascension in a different place, in a different gospel. And I don't know if you know this, but Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, obviously. But he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. And so Luke is giving you a little bit different of a perspective of what happened that day. And he says it differently here. He gives you a little bit more detail. He says, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. And this is his last speech before he's lifted up. And lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. See, what happened that day whenever Jesus was lifted and he ascended into heaven and the the disciples, they didn't get to see him every day. They didn't get to eat with him anymore. They didn't get to to have those one-on-one conversations with Jesus in the physical, right? But they were not struck with grief. They were not overcome with dread and fear and anxiety. They were overcome with joy. Awe in worship. It's like these two angels had to come kind of snap them out of it because they were just so caught up in worship in the moment of Jesus in his glorified state being lifted to heaven. Now, do you remember joy from last week? We talked about joy a little bit, and I read you this passage. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, the disciples, they may have shed a tear. They may have been sad. But listen, Jesus had been preparing them for this moment for a long, long time. He had been talking to them about it. It's like, you know, I'm fixing to go to a place. This is the Last Supper, right? He's like, where I'm going, you guys can't follow me. And they were just kind of like, what are you talking about, Jesus? How come we can't go with you? He's like, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so there's this reality of this higher perspective of what Jesus was fixing to do. And the disciples in that, I believe in that 40 days of him downloading all of the stuff to him, they finally, they got it. 
They understood maybe for the first time why things were happening that the way that they were, why Jesus had to die on a sinner's cross whenever he knew no sin, right? So that he could pay for redemption for all of us. And where he was going was not a surprise to them because they knew exactly he told them what was fixing to happen. And as he's taken away, they're filled with joy. How could they be joyous about Jesus leaving? Because they had a higher perspective. They understood that the race wasn't so much about the person holding the baton, but the mission that had to be accomplished. And Jesus was super clear with them of what that mission was. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, whenever Matthew is giving the same account of Jesus' last speech, Luke says that he blesses them, that there's this holy moment, Jesus rises, and Matthew says that he commissioned them. He gave them the reason that they were supposed to stay and he was supposed to go. I want you to go, teach everything that you've heard me to teach, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. See, Jesus was super clear about the higher perspective that they needed, and the, and the disciples got it. So listen, here's the takeaway that I have as I was reading through this this weekend, or last week, I mean. Transitions are unavoidable in your life, and they're unavoidable in mine. But God can give us the perspective and the intestinal fortitude inside of our soul to get good at them. To have the understanding of, God, what are you calling me to? And so, GTF, here's, here's the thing that I want to kind of just really quickly summarize for you. How we can get better at transitions in this season of transition. Here's the first one. Just two, really quick. Number one, obediently follow the Lord. That's what God's called you to do. That is the race that's marked out for you. And there's all kinds of detail in your journey and in your race, right? That you need to, to get close to the Lord so that he can, he can tell you what all that, that looks like. But listen, if you do that for the rest of your life, you'll do well. Obediently follow Jesus. Whenever you look at the disciples, one of the responses that they had as soon as Jesus was lifted up into heaven was, He told us to wait. We're going to wait right here. And they went up to the upper room. They did what he said to do. Obedience just makes life more simple. Now, it's not always easy to obey. God asks us sometimes to do some things that challenge us, correct? But when we obey, there's always a reward in it. The second one is be faithful to run your race. You're not called to run my race. I'm not called to run your race. It doesn't matter what the other people around you are doing in what God's called them to do. Run the race that he's called you to and do not quit. It's interesting whenever you look at the end of the Gospel of John, Peter's struggling a little bit. This is actually in that 40 days that that Jesus was hanging out with the disciples. and, And Peter was struggling because he obviously had failed majorly whenever he denied Jesus three times. And Peter went back to fishing. He's like, you know, I'm going to go back to fishing, guys. And it's funny because all the other stuff was like, yeah, let's do, let's go. They couldn't catch anything. If you remember the story, go back and read it. Very last chapter of John, Jesus shows up and he's on the shore. He's like, hey, y'all caught any fish? Like, no, we haven't. He's like, try the other side of the boat. So they throw their fish on the other side, the the net on the other side of the boat, and they catch so many fish, they start sinking, right? It's kind of like at the beginning of this journey for Peter. 
And so Peter looks to the shore at this guy that's hollering these instructions at him, and he recognizes that it was the Lord. And he runs. He gets out of the boat. I don't know if, he's, if it's, you know, knee-deep water or what, but he, he gets back to shore. And whenever he gets back to shore, Peter and, and Jesus have this conversation, and you probably know this conversation, and Jesus starts asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He asked him this three times. Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my lambs. See, one of the things that happened in that 40 days was Jesus was redirecting Peter's perspective to the place of fulfill the mission. Carry the baton. Do not quit. And here Peter has every reason in the world to doubt himself. He failed. He did what in his eyes was the unforgivable thing, right? And Jesus comes alongside of him and helps him into this place of going, I want you to look at this differently. Just because you stumbled, just because you had that moment, right? Doesn't mean that you get to quit. Carry the baton, do not be a quitter, and finish. If you would stand with me this morning. I want to take communion. If you need communion, if you'll just raise your hand, some ushers will pass that out. Buddy, can I have one, please? I forgot to grab one. Thank you, sir. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, to pastor you into a place where, you know, you walk transition well as we're in a season of transition. But I do acknowledge this. Transition isn't easy. It's like as you walk through changes in life, you look back on the, cha- the, the season that you're coming out of and you, you automatically, and we've been doing this in our home, think about all of the wonderful things, right? It's like whenever I was graduating high school, it's like I think about all the wonderful things of school and what I'm going to miss. And so I'm not asking you to deny that that emotion is there. What I am asking you to do is to steward that and finish well. To finish that process well and then to look forward because there's something good coming next. It's a promise. I just, I have every bit of faith and confidence in my soul that there's going to be something great that happens in our church and in the city in the next season just like there has in this. God's faithful all the time, no matter what. And so as we did last week, and I just, I'm going to continue to encourage you to do this, is fix your eyes on Jesus. And as we take this, these communion elements, that's, that's really what I, what I want to encourage you to do, is GTF, this is a, a, a really profound moment for us as a church to come together and to fix our eyes on the Lord and ask Him, God, what's my part to play? What are you asking me to do in my race? And what, what, what you've marked out for me my place. Occupy your position in the house of God, in the community, in your faith, and in that you'll never go wrong. Whenever you follow Jesus obediently and obey what he's called you to do, he is always going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So if you would just take these elements and and just want to pray and just direct our eyes to Jesus. Father God, we just come to you today and Lord, we look to you and I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring clarity 
in every single person's life as they look to you and they begin to inquire about you. God, what does my race look like right now in this season for our church? I pray, God, that you'd speak to them today. I pray, Father, that you would cause them to, to, to sync up with you and to couple themselves with what you're doing in their life in Jesus' name.